Hello London, we are ready for your vote. Hello, I'm Stephen Perkins and this is Douzepois, the Eurovision podcast from the team that brings you Binge Watch. First things first, a quick apology. Like a lot of people this week, I'm a little bit under the weather, so as you can probably hear, my voice is a little bit croaky and I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to soldier on and hope that it holds up until the end of the episode, which might, for this reason, be a little bit shorter than usual. This is, by the way, the last episode of the year, unless there's any particularly exciting breaking news between now and 31st of December, because after this one, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus to recharge my batteries and return refreshed in time to tackle all of the national finals next year. Last week I brought you my slightly scattered post-competition thoughts on Julia Eurovision 2023, so this week is a chance for me to reflect on the competition a little bit further now it's all had time to percolate and marinate in my head and present some hopefully slightly more coherent thoughts than I had last time. As I mentioned last week, this was my first experience of watching Junior Eurovision in its entirety, and on the whole I was generally very impressed with it. I have to admit that after hearing the song which won last year, Oh Maman by Lissandro, which was very much not my cup of tea, part of me was approaching it thinking, well, if that's the sort of song that wins a competition like this. But actually, I thought the standard of competition was very high, and that there were some very good pop songs in there, especially from France, the Netherlands and the UK. In all honesty, my other worry was that it was going to feel a bit like watching a child beauty pageant or something like that, and the whole event was going to feel slightly wrong, but I was quite relieved that on the whole it didn't feel all that different from regular Eurovision, it was just one where I was slightly more concerned than I would usually be for the welfare of everyone involved. On the whole, there was a real optimism about the whole thing. The kids who were taking part seemed to be having a great time and were just delighted to be on the telly, getting a chance to sing for a massive audience. Nobody embarrassed themselves, nobody got mocked. The whole thing seemed really encouraging and celebratory, and hopefully they all had a really positive experience out of it. I thought France did a really good job of hosting the event too. The presenters weren't patronising, they kept the whole thing running really smoothly, and it all seemed very efficient and professional. And even some of the slightly more cloying moments, like the giant ensemble performance of We Are The World, felt almost appropriate in this general context. But ultimately the success of an event like this comes down to the quality of the songs, and there were definitely some corkers in there this time around. If my Spotify activity for this week is anything to go by, we definitely had the right winner, because I've had France's song on repeat all week, and it has been stuck in my head, to the point that if for some bizarre reason I was dropped on the stage without the lyrics and asked to sing it, I could probably do a creditable stab at the chorus and the first verse, although I don't think anyone would actually want to hear that. C'est un bop absolu, you might say. In terms of the home team, I felt like the placing for the United Kingdom was about right. We had a good song and a really strong set of performers, but it didn't quite feel like a winner to me. It still felt like a song slightly searching for a chorus, and if we managed to nail that part of it as well, we might have given France a run for their money. But fourth place is nothing to be embarrassed about. We did better with the juries than we did last year, but less well in the online vote, and I think that's where the lack of a chorus or a really memorable hook beyond that whistling bit really hurt us. But overall, I think we finished pretty much where we should have done. In fact, I didn't really have many objections to the results. The only real surprise to me was Ireland finishing last, because I really liked that one. Mind you, this being the first year I watched the show, I didn't entirely appreciate the callback that the girl who came on and started singing halfway through was the actual representative from Ireland from last year. If I was to raise one objection to the production generally, I think it was that the dragging out of France's score reveal in the televote right at the end went on for far too long. Obviously I get that they want to create tension there, it's television, and it was exciting that it was potentially very close between France and Spain for the win, but they did 
milk that moment far longer than I think they should have done, both from a contestant welfare point of view, because, you know, let's not forget, these are children's minds you're messing with, but also from a viewer engagement point of view, because I know that I, for one, yelled, oh, get on with it at least once at that point. But if something like that is my biggest criticism of a Eurovision, then you know it must have gone fairly well. And I maintain there is still a lot to be said for a Eurovision that runs in two and a half hours in total from start to finish and ends on schedule. I would like to take a little moment to talk about uh, Zoe Clausure's re winner's repeat of Kerr as well. I thought it was really lovely that given that they weren't able to get her piano on stage in time for the performance and they couldn't do you know, the original choreography for it, it was really nice that the kids who were dancing for her just kind of improvised their choreography for that performance and they just used it to celebrate her win. And it was really lovely that all the other contestants rushed the stage while she was singing, which is something you don't get at growing up Eurovision very often. It did feel a bit X Factory, admittedly, but I'm okay with that. I think we should talk about France's track record at this point, because I hadn't really factored this in when I was talking last week, but not only are they joint top with Georgia overall with three wins, but they've done that out of only seven attempts compared to Georgia's 17. They've also finished second and third, and their least successful result was sixth, so I think we can say at this point that France officially kick ass at Junior Eurovision. So, what is it going to take for them to translate all of that into a win at the main event? Remember, they haven't won Eurovision itself since 1977, despite coming very close in 2021 with Barbara Pravi, but they've only made the top 10 twice in the last decade. Obviously, the two contests are very different beasts, and it does take different approaches to win them, but, and you can call me crazy for this if you like, but I think Kerr could have won regular Eurovision under the right circumstances. So, what's it going to take for France to channel their songwriting energy at Junior Eurovision, where it clearly resonates, and bring that to the main contest? In fact, it's worth asking that question of the UK as well. We finished 5th and 4th at Junior Eurovision in our most recent efforts, and I would argue that, Sam Ryder aside, the songs and performances we've sent were superior to what we've been submitting to the main event. So, what is stopping us from providing this level of talent in the main Eurovision? Is it that the main event has a reputation problem as a bad career move that Junior Eurovision just doesn't really have yet? Is it something else? I, mean, I just think that if we'd sent lose my head or back to life to a main Eurovision in recent years, we'd have done very well with either of them. And that brings me to my other point. I don't really know what the career prospects are for a junior Eurovision entrant once the contest is over, particularly for a group that was manufactured specifically for the contest and doesn't, as far as I know, have an actual record deal. But if I were in charge of selecting our Eurovision entries, I would be making sure that someone was mentoring Freya Sky and Stand Unique with a view to possibly sending them to represent us at Grown Up Eurovision in a few years' time. When you've got acts who already have experience of performing for that type of event, handling that kind of pressure, and not only nailing their performance, but also pulling in very respectable results, it would be foolish not to keep them in mind to come back in a few years as adults and compete at Eurovision again. Obviously, we would need a good song for them, but again, if we've got people who are capable of writing good quality songs for Junior Eurovision, there's no reason they can't do the same for the main contest. I think that's it in terms of my thoughts on Junior Eurovision 2023. All that remains is to see what happens with next year's contest. Apparently France are a little reticent to sign up for hosting for the second year in a row, particularly because they will be staging the Olympics next year, and a lot of money and infrastructure is already earmarked for that. So, potentially, next year's Junior Eurovision contest is still up for grabs, although presumably whoever hosted it would still have to have some degree of representation in there for France's most recent win. I am going to sign off here and get myself some hot water with honey and lemon, but I did just want to thank you for being here with me this year. We've achieved so much more with this podcast in our first year than I thought we would, and I wouldn't be here without people listening in the first place. So thank you for making time for me in what I'm sure is a very, very busy podcast schedule. We will be back next year. Please subscribe if you haven't already done so to make sure you don't miss our return and all of our exciting upcoming content for Malmo 2024. All that remains is to say... 
Good night, Europe, and good morning, Australia.